Hello, you're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Thank you for listening to Let the Bible Speak Again today. It is my joy today to share a broadcast of me giving my testimony in our church a few weeks ago. This year marks 30 years since God saved me by his grace and he has kept me ever since. And so it's my joy to be able to share what God has done in my life. And I trust that with blessing to your heart, my burden is that Christ would have all the glory, even through the testimony of one of his children. Let's turn our Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 2. I want to read these opening verses. Ephesians chapter 2, reading from the verse number 1. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespass and sins. For in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Among whom also we... All had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, where he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. A word of testimony in many ways is a statement of witness. A witness will speak in a court and give a word of testimony. They will describe certain things. And a Christian testimony in many ways is a witness statement of what the Lord has done in your soul. You think of the psalmist, Psalm 66, where he says, Come and hear all ye that fear God, and I will declare what he hath done for my soul. Public. Yes, we we bear witness to God. We thank the Lord for saving us privately. But there is a public dimension to Christian testimony that is entirely appropriate. Last Lord's Day, May the 1st, marked 30 years from the day that God stepped into my life. On the 1st of May, 1992, I was involved in a road traffic accident. I was knocked down on the road. And that was a time that I acknowledged that God stepped into my life. And that is all to the Lord's glory. He has saved me. He has led me. He's kept me to this day. Oh yes, my story has seen new chapters added year by year, but through it all I can say I'm saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And 30 years later, that message has not changed. I said that 30 years ago, and I still say the same things today. That was brought to my mind a few years ago. I stumbled, I think I was packing up to, to move house somewhere, and I stumbled across an old cassette recording 
And it was the audio recording of my baptismal service in 1993. I was baptized just over a year after I came to faith in Christ, 1993. And part of our uh, baptismal service was that they asked the candidates to give a word of personal testimony. The pastor told us, just take about a minute. Well, true to form, I went over time. I went about a minute, 20 seconds. Um, but I found that, and a friend put that under digital form now, and I'm going to play that to you now. As Elaine and Timothy are, and probably many a few people are, in that I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ from an early age through Christian parents, Sunday school and church. Then, when I was seven, I made some kind of profession, as I felt it must be the right thing to do. For the next nine years, however, I drifted slowly further and further away from God, occasionally feeling guilty, but most of the time just doing what I wanted. Then, on the 1st of May last year, I was knocked down by a car. I had always known that I was a sinner, but like most teenagers, had never thought how fragile life is. I had always thought that I would have five minutes just before I died to ask for forgiveness and sort out my eternity. It then took me three days to realize that God had given me a second chance, and it's up to me to make the most of that chance. Some people will never get that chance, but I had. So on the 4th of May, I gave my life to God, determined to live the rest of my life for the God who was and is so gracious to me. As it says in 1 Peter 4, verse 2, As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Since then, there have been many ups and downs, but it is very comforting to know that God is in total control, and whatever happens is his will and his alone. Is it uh, 29 years ago? It's, you know, testimonies, they are important, they are appropriate, telling people what the Lord has done for your soul. And yet my, my desire today is not to draw attention on myself, but on the Savior because there are some dangers when you give a word of testimony, and that is that pretty young people may presume that, well, how the Lord saved me is how the Lord should save them and should look the same. People's experiences are different, and how you may come to faith in Christ will be different. But there are things that are common, common traits that you can look at and analyze, and particularly with, with hindsight, look back and analyze and say, well, the Lord was doing this and that in my life, and I can see the hand of God in it all, because it is a testimony, it is what the Lord has done in my life. And so I really want to summarize it just under a few sort of headings and words, and I want to begin by thinking about the issue of rebellion, rebellion. Again, I mentioned in the testimony there that I was brought up in a, in a Christian home, and very thankful for my Christian upbringing, Jack, uh, officially John, but known as Jack, married Alma, uh, they became the Pollock family, that new Pollock family, Oh, quite a few years ago now, and by God's grace, a, a man raised in the Brethren, married a Presbyterian, and became Baptists. I think of my Christian heritage, and in some ways I look back even a, a previous generation, my mother's father was saved under the preaching of an evangelist known as W.P. Nicholson. He saw work done in the 1920s in the workers amongst Belfast, and my grandfather received under his preaching at that point. And so I'm thankful for a godly heritage. But you know, a godly heritage doesn't change your heart. And though I had a godly heritage surrounded by praying parents, yet the tragedy was my heart was stony, cold, and dead in sin. And that's always going to manifest itself in some way. It comes out somehow. It will vary again. Young people will vary their rebellion in different ways. 
For me, prior to my 16th birthday, it was not so much a case of, of drink and drugs and all those things that people may get up to later on. I was in a pretty mortal town, a mortal family. So my rebellion in many ways was very internal. It was internal at least to some degree. The external dimension of my internal rebellion came with regards to my church attendance. Where I stamped my feet and I said to my parents, I am not going to church. And we had many a battle on the Lord's Day with what I would do. And if I did go to church, we had a gallery up in our church, the Baptist church there. And I'd sit up in the top of the gallery with three friends and we'd write notes to each other. We'd mess around. We'd regularly get told off by people around us. But we were determined, all four of us were determined that we were not going to listen to the Word of God. Because that is the very core of rebellion, isn't it? That's the very core of rebellion. It's not so much against your parents, although it comes out that way. It's often rebellion against God himself. I do not want to know what God says to me in this area or that area. And so we shut our ears. I think of the testimony or the words of Zechariah chapter 7. I think this describes my, my spirit. Zechariah 7 verse 7. They refused to hearken and pulled away the shoulder and stopped their ears that they should not hear. Yea, they made their hearts as an adamant stone, lest they should hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts has sent in his spirits. That was my spirits. My ears were stopped. My heart was hard. And I was determined not to listen to God. And you know, when you're in such a state, the only thing that will change you is the intervention of the grace of God. It's only God that can change that spirit. I had no inclination to pray. I had no desire to hear the Word of God. I had no desire to sing or to praise God. Absolute spiritual death. And I knew it. I turned 16 in April of 1992, and I knew, I knew I was dead in sin, and I didn't care. So what happened? Well, God stepped in. My family couldn't save me. They could pray for me. The church couldn't save me. The ordinance can't save us. It was only by grace. And so having thought about rebellion, I then think a little bit about submission, because that's what is required. The sinner must be brought to a place of submission. Submission does authority. And so for my testimony, there was a but God moment. I, I love verse number four of Ephesians chapter two. But God, who is rich in mercy. There is in the life of the sinner a but God moment. Now listen, please. That may vary amongst children. It may happen, it may happen some night at your bedside when God steps in and changed your heart. And no longer do you want to ignore the Word of God. You want to love Christ and walk with Christ. That's a but God moment. And it is, it is to my embarrassment that I was so stubborn it took God to intervene in a different way. But it happened 1st of May 1992. I was driving back on a school bus from a sponsored walk in a place called Glenara Forest Park. We were doing a walk for charity. It was about 9.30 at night, dusk. Uh, we have longer nights back home at this time of the year. And so yes, the lights are going down. And again, back in Northern Ireland, you, there's no stop signs outside the, the public buses. And I ran across the road in front of the bus. A car came round the side. Car and person met. And they ended up sprawling across the, the road. Yeah, it was a, a time of challenge. The injuries were very minor. 
It was a school bus. Remember, my friends were in the bus. They saw it all happen. Uh, I came back to school on Monday morning with a broken toe and a scratched up face. That was all that happened to me out of that particular accident. God was pleased to spare me worst injury. You know, I had no idea what was going on. But the next day, I knew that things were going to be different and had to be different. I didn't know that Proverbs 27 was in the Word of God. I'm not boasting of tomorrow. You don't know what day will bring forth. And I think as most 16-year-olds, I was pretty fit, strong young man, and I believed that I was invincible, invulnerable, indestructible. Suddenly, I'm not. You know, if you're here today and you believe that, young person, you believe nothing can stop you from going about your business, do not be a fool like I was a fool. Simply take my experiences enough, enough to remind you that you do not know. I didn't deliberately run in front of that car. I wasn't trying to get knocked down. I was determined in my soul to do my own thing, but God stepped in, and the result was submission. Submission. I knew my only hope was in God. Those months from May through to July were months of great confusion. I knew things had to change. I knew in some degree my only hope was in the work of Christ, in the blood of Christ. I understood those things. I'd been raised in those things. But I do not know at what point I can definitely say this was the point that I realized that I was a sinner and needed Christ Jesus. I'm not sure of the exact dates. What I do remember very clearly was a Monday morning in Kentucky in July 1992. My friend and I uh, were heading to Michigan in the summer of 1992 to stay with a dear family, to paint their house, and to do some various excursions around the country. So we spent seven weeks of that summer in 1992. And so they were dear people, and they, they took us to a church in Kentucky to meet some of the young people there uh, one weekend, and we actually stayed in the church building. And on the Monday morning, I got up on the Monday morning in July, and I got my Bible out. And you know, the, I had been given a book. I think these, this couple realized that Timothy and I were struggling with life. There was a lot of ungodliness in our lives. There was a lot of bad attitudes in our lives. And they were trying to encourage both of us in the things of God. And I was given a book on the armor of God. And the advice in the book was, before you read this book, read Ephesians chapter 1 through 3. So I did that. I read Ephesians chapter 1 on the Sunday morning. And the Monday morning, I read Ephesians chapter 2. And it was like a light turned on. For the very, very first time in my life, I read a portion of Scripture that I suddenly understood. This actually makes sense. This is what's been happening to me over the last couple of months. That was how I felt on a Monday morning in a church in Kentucky in the darkness of a, of a dimly lit auditorium. I realized this word is light and it's truth. And it describes what God has done in my soul. It was tremendously humbling and encouraging. God and His grace working these things in my life, and very quickly I became convinced of the sovereignty of God in my salvation. You know, I look back on those months, and I, I am greatly, greatly encouraged, and I want to encourage others. My faith was so weak, so confused, so up and down, and yet I believe at that point God had saved me. Because we are not saved by the strength of our faith, but we are saved by the object of our faith. And though my faith was all over the place and confused, and I, I couldn't articulate really what was happening at all, 
I know that I was saved because Christ died for me, and my faith was in Christ and in Christ alone. I knew I hadn't earned salvation. I knew I hadn't done anything to merit God's favor, but God had saved me. And praise His name. He's kept me these past 30 years, and I give glory and praise to His name. But you know, those rebels who are brought to submission are then in turn sanctified. God sanctifies every submissive rebel. When they're brought to faith in Christ, a process of sanctification begins. And my testimony really is of what the Lord has done in my life and is still doing in terms of sanctification. I want to highlight three of these areas. There was, oh, I say instantaneously, it was, it was almost instantaneous. There was a love for the Lord, His Word, and truth. I came back from the U.S., and I do not believe I've missed a church service since unless I've been ill. Not one more time did my heart say, I don't want to go to church. I wanted to sing. didn't care what it sounded like. I wanted to sing. I wanted to hear and learn the Bible, and I wanted to know more and more about the Lord. And I praise God for that. That I, I had that joyful sort of testimony of, of a change in my life that really centered upon the Word of God and the Lord of the Word. I don't believe it's possible for people to walk with God and not be part of vibrant church life and worship. It becomes it's part of your natural existence as a child of God to want to breathe out prayer, to breathe out song, and to take in more and more the fruit of the Word of God. That's what God does for every single child of God. Now, the, the degree will vary, and there'll be times we may go cold and we'll drop back, and there's, there's going to be fluctuations in Christian living, but those are the core realities in the Christian life. So there was love for the Word of the Lord. There was also an increasing likeness to Christ Jesus. Far, far from perfect. In my first year of conversion, I fell into more sin that year, public sin, than I had done in the previous few years as a rebellious unbeliever. There was clearly a warfare took place from my 16th birthday through to about my 17th birthday. Lots of struggles. I fell into the popular crowd in school. Peer pressure came in. And there was temptations to get involved in parties and all the rest of things I had not been involved in prior to my conversion. And that itself caused me some difficulties because I, I began to struggle then deeply with the matter of assurance. And this is something I, I think many young people imbibe in, in Reformed churches. They understand they're saved by grace but think they're kept by works. And so when they fall into sin, and even sometimes a pattern of sin for time, they presume, well, I mustn't be a Christian after all. But the Romans 7 experience of wrestling with the flesh, of the, of the, the, the fact there's still sin that remains, is a real experience in every child of God. Didn't change. I still wanted to go to church on the Lord's Day. I still wanted to sing the praises of God and study the Word. But there were these real wrestles with sin, and even now, there are still those real wrestles with sin. Things change, you get older, things change in terms of your experiences. And the same thing is, there are still these wrestlings with sin. And I praise God that I know now that I'm saved by grace, kept by grace. 
My works do not contribute to my salvation. Our works flow out, but they do not contribute to your standing with Christ Jesus. But they are real nonetheless. I look back now, and there were definitely things that changed in my life. Progressively, the Lord made me more and more like his son, and is still doing so, I trust, by God's grace. Love for the Lord and the Word, likeness to Christ, and thirdly, there is a serving of others for Christ. Look again at Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 10, where it tells us, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Again, this is not a second higher level of Christian experience. This is true for every single child of God, saved by grace, not by works, but saved unto works of service. Why are you made holy? Why are you sanctified? It is that you would serve others others for the glory of Christ. Now, that service will vary from person to person. But again, very early on, I became convinced of my duty to serve others in our church, to pray for them, to seek to encourage them, to give words of, 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 of comfort and direction whenever I could do so. I sought to go in the doors. We had an evangelism team Oh, on a Tuesday evening, we'd go around some of the doorsteps in Ballymena. We'd knock doors, give out gospel tracts. I began to do that as a, as a 16 and a half, 17-year-old because I, I understood the importance of, of taking what I believed and sharing that with others, part of Christian testimony. And so people's gifts will vary. Their God-given gifts will vary, but there will be within their heart a burden to see or serve others for the glory of Christ Jesus. For me, early on, the Lord put me on a pathway towards the Christian ministry. A few, probably a couple of months after the baptismal service that you heard recorded, my pastor, a man called Pastor John Shear, a Scottish man, a faithful man of God, a, a godly wise man, he was preaching through a series on Jonah, and he preached on the challenge to God's children from Jonah's reluctance. And I approached him at that time and said, as a 17-year-old, I think the Lord may be calling me into the ministry. To which point he says, if you can do something else, do it. That was the advice he gave me. He says, well, if you do something else, do that. So, so I did. I did take a gap year. Many of you will know I came across to Michigan, back to the same family. I spent a year with that family in 1994 5 I studied theology in the context of the Reformed Baptist Church there, and I learned much regarding the things of God, things I still preach uh, today. The things can come back to my memory uh, very often, a very important year in my life. But I came back to Belfast, 1995, and began uh, my medical training in Belfast at that particular time. But the sense of call never left. God was, had a work for me to do. He was setting me apart for that work, I believe. In those years, at the end of my time in Michigan, 1995, I carried the coffin for a friend who died at the age of 19. Later on, my friend, 29, died. On both of those occasions, I was deeply challenged by the fact that I was spared, they were taken, and directly spoken to on those occasions regarding, would I give my life in Christian ministry? So the burden never left. It was just a matter of intensifying of the burden to serve God in public ministry. By 2003, I had already married Cherith. We had met in Belfast and University in 
Queens there in Belfast. We had two children. We were uh, moved back to the Balamina area and began to attend the Free Presbyterian Church in Balamina. By 2005, or I think it's thereabouts, I got a strange phone call from Reverend Greer. I was doing a, a surgery in, in Cookstown, of all places, and the phone came. Cherith called me and said, Mr. Greer wants to speak to you. Oh dear, what have I done wrong? And he, he called me and he asked me to take their Bible class that Sunday morning. It's a Thursday. The Bible class is on Sunday, and I had done no public ministry in the free church. But what he did not know was at that time the Lord was really struggling and challenging my soul regarding public ministry. And here was a chance. I was studying the Word of God. I preached in the pre-incarnate state of Christ. It's still in sermon audio. And I spoke about my Savior. And the Lord blessed and gave help. And it ignited a fire in my soul. And a reality, yes, I believe the Lord would have me preach the Word of God in the free church. A few months later, at the Bible conference in Balamina, Dr. Alan Cairns, late Dr. Cairns, was preaching on the life of Moses. Exodus chapter 3, the call of God in his life. And I felt that the Lord was speaking to me very directly and very personally. I arrived late to the meeting. I was come from work. I arrived late. I sat down. I simply said, Lord, speak to me. Speak to me. And the Lord did speak to me. It's funny. I thought the Lord was speaking to every young man in that meeting. A few years later, speaking to a friend, and he said that meeting convinced him that he was not called to be a minister. The meeting I was called was a meeting where he felt he was not called. And the Lord very directly, pointedly spoke to my soul. Dr. Cairns, in the course of that message, said to young men, if you can do anything else, do it. Twelve years after I was first told that advice, I was now being told the same advice, a different person, a different denomination, a different time, same town as it was, but different place. Twelve years later, I had finished all I had to do in my career, nothing else to do. And I knew I could do nothing else but preach the gospel. Our time is really gone, but I praise God for His grace and guiding and directing me to this point. It's all about trusting the Lord to save and to keep and to direct and to guide. So I do praise Him. I give Him all the praise and all the glory. His grace has kept me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.